Hello, this is Elizabeth and this is Austin Enneagram. And I'm here today. I feel like I'm with the Pope actually, but I'm here today <laughs> with my mentor and my teacher, Suzanne Stabile. And I'm so grateful that she has agreed to talk to me today. And um, really, uh, even though I read about the Enneagram when I was 18 and knew that I was a four then, it took um, however many years in between, like 15 years before I heard Suzanne teach and tell from stories. And um, her storytelling is what puts the Enneagram like in my bones. I feel like it, I just wear it now because of you. And um, otherwise, I think it might have been just this thing that I visited every now and then. And so you're two, and I think your storytelling is your great gift, and it comes from your two-ness, and it comes from your empathic qualities, and it comes from your love of relationship and your attention to relationship. And so I, I'm, th I'm grateful for you. And um, now that I've been teaching a little bit, if we want to call it teaching, I'm so interested in how like we all, no matter what, no matter how, where we are with ourselves, we all teach from our number. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm a four, I teach as a four and you teach as a two and Lee teaches as a nine and Russ teaches as a five and Naranjo wrote as a five and Richard Rohr is a one. Yeah. Yep. It's funny, it's inescapable, but I guess we all have something to offer from that point of view, even if sometimes it's not the whole picture. We're part sure. of the picture, yeah, which I guess is an image of the Enneagram itself, maybe. So, Well, I certainly think once we know that we're part of the picture, it makes the rest of the picture more intriguing. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, my new cohort met for the first time I don't know, 10 days ago, maybe. And um, some weekend, not very long ago. And I have a four in that group who said, I feel like I'm a puzzle piece that has five of those little things, you know, those little <laughs> things that you put into and another thing. Mm -hmm. And I, it all, I, I feel like I'm always required to cut off at least two of them to fit. Mm. Hmm. And I can't. I think that's a, I think we're telling ourselves that that's a, that's a good image, yeah. yep. but it's also that trying to be like, we're trying, we're leaning into that specialness, you know, and, yes. trying, and so that get, gets in the way of uh, just being with what is. Yeah. 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 So my way of responding to her, I said the same thing you did, but I said it a different way. And I said, it, I said, you know, if you, anytime I do a crossword puzzle and I'm holding this piece and I know it's supposed to fit, if I turn it a couple of times, then it fits perfectly. So it's about looking at it from a different perspective rather than having to adapt all the time. Mm, or just like letting go of my perspective. 
Yeah. And, you know, for me as a two, adapting um, was hard to stop, but mm. it was also very helpful. Sure. Sure. It's and I don't think it's that helpful for <clears throat> fours who are new to the Enneagram. Mm. Because then they try to be their three wing or their five wing or all the things. Yeah. And unfortunately, fours are capable of um, dressing up pretty well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've All these years, you've, every single time I've listened to you speak, you've ended with something about meditation and how it's always the answer. And so I heard you but I wasn't able to wear it yet. Like I could wear your stories, but I couldn't wear that. Mm -hmm. And finally, as of like a year ago, I could, I, I like I tried before, but I hadn't worked mm -hmm. and it started working. Um, and it's because I had a reference point of where, of that bottomless something, I don't know what to call it, the, the ground of being, whatever you want to call it. I, I knew what, it's like I had a map that that's, that was there. And so it, so I've been doing it every morning and it, it allows for not all the time, obviously, but it helps me not need to be a puzzle piece. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and it, um, Helps me not need to help you not be a puzzle piece. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. We can just look at each other. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's do this chapter because it's like long. And Okay. I'm ready. And, and I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to read parts of it and you respond or interrupt me or whatever. I want okay. it to be super casual. All right. So right out of the gate, twos move toward people as if seeking an answer to the inner question, will I be liked? Twos develop an exquisite personal radar for the detection of moods and pre preferences. They adapt their feelings to suit the concerns of others, and they forget their own needs in a driven attempt to flatter others as a way of buying love. So the, the first thing I would respond to in that is to say that I I think there are different ways for twos to express what they're looking for. So um, being loved is a thing, being liked is a thing that twos are looking for. But for me, it was being wanted. Mm -hmm. And I thought for a long time that was because I'm adopted. But I found out that for lots of twos, more and more, I think, the younger the group is that I talk to, the more of those folks who adapt, who, who adapt with the hope of, if I, if I just alter here and here a little bit, you will want me. Mm -hmm. And then I can love big enough for both of us so that until you love me. Mm -hmm. I think that's what twos think. So I, it's like I can, want comes before love. I think want is easier to perceive and trust mm. than love. And so I think that's why a lot of younger folks who grow up with bigger groups of people 
are looking to be wanted and then Tuesday, I'm talking about Tuesday. Yeah. More than loved because love is very ill-defined in one way. And it's not the word that you use to describe everything in the other way. Mm, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm certainly not putting that on twos. I'm just saying for me, it's wanted, but I have always thought that's because I was adopted. I'm beginning to wonder if for some twos, maybe many twos, wanted comes before love because of the rest of the paragraph, which essentially says, if I can get you to want me, then I can love you in a way where you will keep and continue to want me. Right. Right. Because I can read your feelings Mm -hmm. as long as then in terms of a healthy side of that, as long as I don't let my feelings get in the way of all of that, which isn't likely early in a relationship because twos don't know what their feelings are. Right. Right. So it's like, it's almost like going into a relationship with yourself emotionally. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because I'm feeling your feelings and I'm responding to your feelings and you're responding to your feelings. And yeah. so we're yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I doing, doing the neuron Hood book before this Helen book was super helpful to me. And um, one of the things I started calling nines was like a secret sociopath which I love. Um, and I yesterday started calling twos like secretly slippery um, because of what you just said, like they're, they're giving me what I want, what, I, what they're feeling from me. And I'm never, I'm never, I can't ever find a two. Like I'm looking for the two and they're giving me something, but I, what I'm wanting is them. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't find it. Mm-hmm. And so that it feels there's an evasiveness in a two, which is interesting because y'all are so warm and so personable, but there's also this evasiveness that is like surprising. Mm-hmm. So um, I, we've been friends for a long time now. Thank goodness. <laughs> and um I I have a moment in time in our friendship that may not be a moment in time for you. Okay. But it changed things for me. And it kind of put me on my toes of uh, um, she's in as far as I am. So I got to cut out the slippery stuff. That would not (laughs) have been my language. Okay. Okay. Um, And and I wasn't that... um, sure of what it was we were in jackson uh and we went to lemuria and we uh, there it was more than you and me i'm sure your mom was there and i don't know who else was there somebody Mm -hmm. and i love that bookstore and um uh i bought a book and whoever the other person is bought two books and you bought a book and we left the bookstore and I talked about mine and I think it was probably your mom talked about hers and that was it. Then the conversation about 15 minutes later, you looked at me and you said, you didn't even ask me about my book. You didn't even ask me what I chose hmm. or why. And 
in that moment, I thought, okay, then this is a thing that we're going to really do. Um, and I, I didn't ask and I'm going to ask. Hmm. And so I think if twos are able to be aware enough and if they feel safe enough to note the other person's feelings, but then look at themselves Mm. rather than note the other person's feelings and then say some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd been in friendship long enough at that point that I knew if I said some stuff, I wouldn't get away with it. Mm. Mm. I intuitively knew that not, not any other way. Okay. Wow. So I, I have been telling twos who ask me about journaling you know, I don't want twos to substitute journaling for verbal processing because it doesn't work. But when they ask me about journaling, I, I tell them to look for points like that because mm. that's when you learn something. Yeah. You, you, about yourself. You, yeah. you learn about yourself. And it would be my nature, whoever was with us, to go after the person I didn't have. Mm. Right? That's average two-ness. I'll mm. go after that person by being interested in their books. Yeah. And so it puts you in the same position that Joe and my children and all of us that I love deeply, they sometimes feel like uh, they didn't have as much of me as they wanted because I was going after the one. Or just I going, didn't have. Yeah, going, or just after. going after something, you know, yeah. going after I really feel, um, and maybe this is a heart triad thing, but I've been feeling a lot lately and we were talking about it before we started just this like, um, mother grief and, um, and I'm thinking like, well, what is it that I want? What I want is like this total intimacy, total union, which is such a four thing, but that's a, it's not possible. Like if I really had it, it would be weird, you know, be inappropriate. And and then what is that actually? Like, what does that actually mean? And I think that it's really easy to like go after quote intimacy mm-hmm. without being intimate. Mm. Oh, for sure. And so I'm trying to check myself on my wants because, um, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy and it feels, it gives me something to do. And it's maybe it feels even safe to, to be in that place, but it's not real. Yeah. I, I, do you think it's because you've been looking for that your entire life? Sure. You have it. You had it when you were the dominant person in the relationship in a way, you know, we had intimacy with our children and -hmm. then they grow up because we insist that they grow up. And then that intimacy that we've, that well for intimacy that we helped create in them is for the relationship that I have with Joe and that you have. (laughs) Right. Yeah. However, um, I didn't think my children would ever want me if they didn't need me 
And after they got out of college, they certainly didn't need me. Mm-hmm. And they all came back. Yeah. And they, and still, we've had to build adult to adult relationships to be at a place where there are intimate exchanges. Mm-hmm. That's it. Not yeah. intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. But exchanges that I could label as intimate. Right. And I think that's, that's something you could journal about. Like, what does that feel like? What is that? Yeah. And how do you keep from wanting more than you have exactly right to want? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So true. Um, okay. Um, the early phases of a relationship are dominated by two living out those aspects of herself that will flatter the partner's needs. The later phases of a relationship are dominated by the feeling of being controlled by the partner's will, coupled with an overwhelming desire for freedom. Because givers have suppressed their own needs and interest of pleasing others, they tend to become indispensable to the partner. The liaison with power guarantees personal survival while at the same time maintaining the posture of the giver. Yes. Twos meet their own desire by winning the love of people who can make their desires materialize. Successful control of a partnership is not achieved by force or coercion. Control is achieved through helpfulness. You know, the way I talk about that a lot now is I get people, I I know what they need and some of the things they want. And then I, I meet those needs. And then I don't know when to stop meeting those needs. And then once they're dependent on me, I get mad at them for being dependent on me. (laughs) Yeah. Then it's like, and then my punishment is that I pull back emotionally. Right. So it's like, I pull you in, you know, we talk about push, pull and fours a lot. Right. You're setting them up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Because I don't think they're going to want me if they don't need me, right? So that's my option. What I have to bring to the table is I can sense and meet your needs. But then I don't know when to stop. And then they get, they're all in. And I'm angry that they are dependent on me in some way. And that they want my time. My big thing is feeling taken for granted. And then I get mad that they need me. And I think I do that because control uh, then requires more. uh, All this, of course, is unconscious. But I think control at that point requires new work, new edges, new Mm. energy, new you know, it's like you have to keep coming up with a new way to love you. Yeah. Like, watch me love you this way and this way. And then, um, you know, Joe's a nine and my children are eight, nine, seven, four. And they aren't really all that interested in that kind of relationship. Right. And I think we have to look at what she is saying in in the context of relationship because 
what I would have called controlling Joe was actually merging because he's a nine. And what I would call control, it was same with Jenny. But with Joey mm -hmm. and, as an eight and Joel as a seven, I thought that I had the power in those relationships and they did. They were just giving me enough to maintain their freedom. Ha 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 ha. Wow. Yes. Yes. And do you think aggressive numbers just do that? Yeah, pretty much. I think I, they, it's, I, I feel like I'm, I used to feel with them like I was a gnat. Yeah. I can, I, I even feel that way with Alabelle as a three. She is brilliant at knowing what just enough to give me so that she can keep moving. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. You know, you can't ask for more. You can't. No, because if you ask for more, then you don't get that. Yeah, that's right. So um, if their efforts are not recognized or approval is withheld, twos feel punctured as if their worth depended on how they stood in other people's eyes. I like the word punctured. Right. Um, I do too, while feeling it. <laughs> yes. Um uh, what, what will emerge is the manipulator for privilege, the behind the scenes operator, the power behind the throne. And, um, this reminded me of the archetype of the devouring mother, yep. um, which, uh, actually Alabelle's doing her college thesis on the devouring mother. Um, so yeah. Um, and I'm honestly, I'm just honored that that conversation can be open between us. And, sure. but I think, I think twos are probably uniquely positioned to be the devouring mother. Um, yes. Yeah. And another way to talk about the devouring mother would, would also be codependency. And I, mm, yes, right. And I have said jokingly until it wasn't funny because it was true that uh, why would God give all the gifts necessary to be codependent? to twos on the Enneagram if it's a bad thing. <laughs> I have everything required, all requirements. I have all of them. <laughs> and it meant that I had to do 90 meetings in 90 days and <clears throat> do a lot of work. I had to do a year of everyday work and I still have to do it. Yeah. And yeah. I had the blessing of the Enneagram. Yeah. I think we could go through every number and take that thing that we think we're entitled to because we're so good at it. Yep. And that's the thing that, that we have to yep. put down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or, or allow or, to fall away because we don't need it anymore. You know, if we can learn to allow some things that yeah. would be, but you can't, you can't change what you can't name. Right. So here's a big question. I know that you're the one asking the questions, but I got a question. <laughs> you remember not knowing the Enneagram? Sure, because I found out about it when I was 18 and uh, I felt that I'd been given a diagnosis. I was like someone who'd been sick with all these weird symptoms and rashes and things, and no doctor could figure it out. And then finally, some doctor said, you have foreness. Yeah. And I, it was a, it was a giant salve to me 
initially, you know, and then later when I started going to your workshops, you know, it's like, if there's, there's steps of grief, there's also steps of Enneagram, like accepting your number. So it was a salve first. And then as I went deeper into it, it was a, a thorn. It was, mm-hmm. I, I was ashamed of myself. I was ashamed of my number and I spent a lot of energy being upset about it. And then I went, got to this other place where I just, um, could, could, could get to work, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Do the work. So how are people supposed to figure this out if they don't know the Enneagram? And I'm not saying the Enneagram is everything in the world. It isn't. You know, I don't think that. I think it's one thing. But boy, howdy. I I don't know how you figure it out without this one thing. It saves a lot of time. It saves, it's a shortcut. It's a map. It's a, it's a tool. It's, um, it just, it shows you um, a more direct path for the work you need to do. And it names for you the things you can't name for yourself. Yeah. So it's. It's good. It's good. Um, okay. Moving on to page 104. Um, top of 104, hysteria, which is a word that um, Naranjo uses a lot for twos in which we all, of course, push back with, from in our group because, you know, women don't like the word hysteria these days. Um, hysteria and anger when emerging real needs collide with the many selves that have developed in order to please others. So I think that's interesting to think about that twos have developed all these selves that all have integrity and all fit in relationships in their lives. And then when those start to collide with each other, there's quote hysteria and anger. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I've said for years that ones behave differently at home than they do out in the world. Mm-hmm that there's an expression of their anger that they save for home. Mm-hmm. And I know um, that hysteria and anger separate and together are certainly part of my history at home. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, I, I, I was going to say embarrassing, but that's not the word. It's a good word, though. Embarrassing is a a vulnerable word, word, I think. I think so, too. But I I think the word is, um, it's a little bit frightening. Yeah, sure. It's destabilizing. Yeah. Makes you wonder how far you can go. Well, and it makes me wonder um, if I'm in control. (laughs) (laughs) Which you're not. Right, of course. Um, but you want so can so you talk can you talk to me about emerging real needs colliding with the many selves you've developed? Yep. Sure can. Um I had to do a good bit of work to be a pastor's wife. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a pretty good one, but I'm I'm not exactly suited to it. Nor are you, by the way. <laughs> Well, definitely not. (laughs) That would be a catastrophe. So there's this self that uh, let go of some of my cuter side, my (laughs) 
my way of uh, entertaining people. Mm -hmm. There's that self. And then there's the self that has been on a spiritual journey since, you know, I was 35, a serious spiritual journey. And that those two representations of me added to the self that's developed because I'm my own person and now I really am capable of taking care of myself financially and all the ways that I would need to because I've done, I have my own body of work, right? Well, I didn't have that early on. Right. And um, so when you, let's just use those three, when you, uh, and, and it sounds, here's what it sounds like. I've done all these things I've, because you're an itinerant pastor. I've followed you around the country. The children and I moved. I behave myself in ways that are not a lie about who I am, but they're boundaries around who I sometimes am and want to be. I um, did ABCD. I put up with your family who didn't love me, all the things. And then when those collide, the hysteria along with the anger is the anger prevents you from the fear of the hysteria. Anger prevents you from the fear of the hysteria. You know, that hysteria, are that, that is really moments when uh, twos are hysterical and they're out of control. Yeah, yeah. Emotionally out of control. And so you're and, saying anger is feels more mm, safer it feels yes it number one it moves the attention from the two who's hysterical to the person mm, yeah that they're angry with so that relocates this whole big ball of emotions back away from the two where twos are accustomed to those emotions being mm, yeah and when they're encapsulated over there, then you have the the person who's sadly the recipient of the anger and the hysteria. And then you have this huge ball of emotions that you have now taken away from you. They're already defined and you've put them over there. Yeah. And it's a wake up call and a breather. And without the anger, I think the hysteria could go on and on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that also provides you with this lovely thing where you get to apologize for the anger mm. without yes. having to completely understand the hysteria. Yes. You can just do this perfect beautiful, warm, loving, empathic apology and never deal with the hysteria. Yeah. Mm. Um, twos were the children who were loved for being pleasing. They quickly recognized the qualities in themselves that were appealing to the different adults in their lives and learned to put on a performance that met those needs. Another common scenario is reported by twos whose sensitivity to the needs of others developed because they had to support their parents emotionally. Do you think uh, that's true? That doesn't fit me. 
Okay. You didn't, you don't feel like you had to support your parents emotionally, but you felt like you had to be pleasing. Not only for my parents, but before their friend group. Okay. You know how we've talked, you've heard me talk about before about the fact that because my brothers were 18 and 15 when I was adopted mm-hmm. and in Floyd Ada, your friend group was your entertainment period and it was generational. Yeah. So I was raised. So everybody else's children had already left home mm-hmm. and I'm the child among these six or seven couples. Right. And All of them. in order to get any attention, I had to be performing and pleasing. Right. I was I was doing the right thing in order to to manage the feelings and fear of being given away, mm-hmm. which came from inside of me, not from my parents, by the way. I'm doing all this work now with adoption and fostering mm-hmm. and it's a it's a journey for me. But the the have you seen the young pope on HBO? No, do I need to? Jude Law, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's directed by an Italian I'm blanking on his name it starts with an S anyway he's my favorite he did the great beauty and all these movies that I love anyway it's like a 10 series thing with Jude Law as a young pope in Rome yeah and he was um, dropped off at an orphanage um, as a little tiny boy so it is an excellent uh, exposition on that, on uh, being adopted and about, um, it really, you've always talked about what that feels like and watching this show made me realize in a much deeper way, how it's just something you wear. Yeah. It's something you always are. Yeah. Yeah. Or better said something you're never not. Right. So, so what I think about that performing thing is I, I think to read feelings from a very young age. Yeah. So I, I can't say that I don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. I think it's because I was alone so much. You know, I think memories come from having other people around that you've talked about them with and all that. Hmm. So you've reinforced them over the years. Remember the time, remember the time. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, I don't have that. Ah, interesting. And uh, so I don't have a lot of memories from childhood, but I do know in in terms of any RAM work, when we talk about repressed centers, you know, I led with thinking it, as a young child and it didn't work because nobody cares what you think if you're the only child in the room. If there's not a comparison, competi- competitive other child in the room, right? it's hard to get somebody to care what you think. They'll show up for your feelings. Especially as a little girl. Yeah, that's right, but not for what you think. Right. And so if I couldn't get attention with what I thought, I learned that I could get attention by performing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, the altering habit often makes a two feel as if she is fooling friends, which as a defensive posture means that a two does not have to risk being fully seen or potentially judged but which also recreates the childhood belief that love is bought by hiding what is unacceptable. And so I I think that's another way of talking about that slipperiness, you know? Um, I think so too. mm -hmm. Um, As you know, after age 16, when I was abused as a foreign exchange student, Mm -hmm. I gained a lot of weight and I never lost that. And uh, the, the, 
disapproval of that in my family and all the ways that it was couched, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'm worried about your health and you you need to not do that. And you know, all the, all those things that sound like they're trying not to be critical and you know that it's just critical. It may be true also, but it's critical and true. Yeah. Um, and so I, this is a little hard for me to relate to because the identifiable thing that people didn't approve of was my way. And so I didn't have to do it. your way. Is that what? Right. How much I your, weigh. Your weight. Your weight. Yes. Okay. 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 So I didn't have to work on what was behind that, that was approved or disapproved of, because that was out front. Uh, so here's a story okay. I just remembered this week. Okay. Try this one on. Uh, one of my brothers called me uh, one day. I was a sophomore in college, I guess, maybe a junior, and said, hey, have you always wanted to look like Elizabeth Taylor? <laughs> well, now you do. And it was when Elizabeth Taylor gained all that weight. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and was like, you know, yeah, an alcoholic and all that. Yeah. Have you always wanted to look like her? really Suzanne really wow wow so I would with deep Enneagram work which is what you're all about um, I would argue that this piece of her work has to do in my experience of folks is going to have to be tempered not as an overall but as what was the thing that was not approved of so the other things went uh, lacking in terms of uh, approval or disapproval right so that's something that um needs to be uh, journaled about or or worked on thought yeah or the therapist or whatever like figure that out yeah um one of the things I like about Helen Balmer is that, you know, her thing was that everybody could be an intuitive. She was really far more interested in people being intuitive and intuitive than the Enneagram. It just fed that for her. Okay. I listened to some old work of hers where she's talking about people being intuitive and how important that is to develop that because we all have it. Mm-hmm. And I think considering that reality of who she was in writing at this time, I think she is right about her theory. She's very intuitive about other numbers. But she can only take it so far, just like me, because she's not those numbers. Right. And she's a six, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she goes on to talk about the umbrella effect a two metaphorically offering an umbrella to shield a partner from the rain. This is on page 108 and then being taken along on the other person's arm. It is important for twos to realize that what they give to others is what they will expect in return. If an umbrella is given, then a two wants to be protected from the rain. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely it. And because twos overgive, we don't get that. Mm-hmm. You might get an umbrella 
in the rain. Um, and then the next week, you might be realizing that when your friend had surgery, you took meals two or three nights, and that was in between all the things you were doing with your life, and you right. had surgery, and nobody brought you the right. anything, right? And then it becomes actually, I've learned in therapy, at least about me, and I, I've talked to other twos about it, and I think it's true. And then it becomes uh, about, um, I'm just wasting my time in this relationship building thing that I've connected myself to, which is very embarrassing and sad and, you know, all the things. But if you have a therapist who won't let you get away with that and you have to go a little deeper, then what I finally got to was, you know, I need to, metaphorically and literally, I need to just stay home. Yeah. I mean, I think most numbers probably need to work harder at offering umbrellas to other people who are in the rain, but twos probably need to learn to stand still with an umbrella that they, that they have already and just be there. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think most of the time when I feel a sense of longing, it's because I'm unwilling to offer that to somebody else. And so I have to say to myself, if you want an umbrella, Elizabeth, why don't you go give someone an umbrella? But I think twos, that's like the wrong advice, you know, like y'all are giving everybody umbrellas in the rain and, um, getting upset that people are not giving you umbrellas. And I mean, I will say that given that two is my, um, stress point, if I'm not doing well, I will start <laughs> giving too many umbrellas, but, yep. and, and then that doesn't work either. But in general, like, what is it you need? Maybe like, maybe like go offer that, but, but for a two, I think it's different. Well, and, I th and what you just did is uh, beautifully talk about some work that we've done together. And that is if, if, if as a, so you and I, on any given day, my focus is outward and your focus is inward. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of you giving an umbrella if you want to get one means of you focusing outward instead of inward. Yes. And of me not giving away my umbrella and three others. <laughs> That's my opportunity then to stand in the rain with my umbrella and focus inward. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find, I think for each of us to yeah. find that place yeah. as a secure place to stand. Yeah. And that's why my overarching question is what is mine to do? Mm -hmm. The umbrella story is my foundation for what is mine to do. Yeah. What's, what's underneath, what's, what's inside that umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because this two's identity depended so heavily on the regard of others, she inserts herself into the lives of her friends, makes herself essential to them, and then complains about her exhaustion if returns fail to materialize, which I, th I think is like what you were talking about earlier. 
but I, I think that's well I said. That's it. That's it. Um, inserting yourself and making yourself essential, I think, are good words. Um, and we're good at it. Yeah, you're really good at it. Well, you're it's because really people tell us things they shouldn't tell us. <laughs> yeah. People tell me things they shouldn't tell anybody. Yeah. Except their therapist and their closest friend. And don't you think um, that twos in general may... Uh, they get a, some of the pride comes from that is that oh, yeah. you do all those things and that you're the person that everyone's telling and you get to hold all that and you're in the center of all of that and yeah and meanwhile like you love it and you but it, it's exhausting yes yeah yeah so are you I know you know this but I bet you haven't thought about it lately I had to have Joe uh, create a ritual for me when I was on the road so much Mm-hmm. So the year before COVID, I did 30 out away from home gigs. And all those come with stories, astonishing stories that people <laughs> have, right? I bet. I bet. But, but prior to that, being on the road, I was bringing all those stories home with a, an email address, checking on everybody, like all the stuff. And I finally said to Joe, I can't leave it there. I don't know how. I don't know what to do. So he created a ritual for me that I do before I leave any hotel room on the morning I'm coming home of how I can let go of and leave Mm. all of those stories there. Yes. And I've learned at the beginning of events to identify therapists and clergy who are in the room Mm. so that if people come to me and say, I need help, I can point to those people. Yes. But I had to get to a place where I didn't want to be the one to give the help. Right. And that's the pride piece. Yeah. Right. And so a a lovely way of of us taking the umbrella story a little deeper would would be if the umbrella was a lifesaver. Right. You know, we had to throw it to you in the water. And if I don't throw it, I don't think anybody else sees you. So what will happen? Right. Right. And then we get to thinking that we're so... Christ-like. Yeah. <laughs> it feels so Christ-like and it's not. Right. The person might be having a great time swimming. Well, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like in Austin circles, um, often it's described as like that you open the circle. So the workshop you go to, you open that space and then there has to be a ritual where you close the space, you close the circle and you call yourself back to yourself. Mm, nice. um, and then that's that, you know, and I've had friends teach me that. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. Um, many twos report that they are unaware of the times when they have slipped into feelings of merging with another person and are not aware that their habit of emanating the qualities that are desirable to another is quite visible and obviously seductive. Yeah. I don't want to talk about that. Let's just go on. Oh my gosh. They are adept at maneuvering other people into liking them. Almost anyone can be made available to them with the right approach. Right. That's exactly right. Except, so here's a good example of that. A really good example. And I'm okay to talk about the first part too. I I just, 
funny. I just, um, I think the reason that I push back against talking about it is because it actually never works. And it's very embarrassing. Right. I like humiliating, <clears throat> embarrassing. And yeah, have, like I didn't read the whole sentence. She says they live with an ongoing assumption that almost anyone can be made available to them with the right approach. So what's embarrassing is, is that that's your assumption and that's what you're doing all the time, not you twos. Yeah. And it's embarrassing to realize that it's, that it's uh, transparent. Yes. Yeah. And of course that happens to every number, but we're talking about. Of course, of course, of course. And nice. nice. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, I've been seen. Right? right. I'm, I'm in control uh, in quotations. I'm in control of what I show you and what I share with you. And then how did this slip out? Mm -hmm. And again, it's all subconscious. You do it so much that you're not, you don't have to think about it to do it. You have to think about it. To stop doing it. Right. 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 Yeah. And uh, that's why I think it's important to have people in your lives who can mirror back to exactly. you what's going on. And that's true for every number, because if you have appropriate people in your life, mirroring it back, then you see in a loving way that you're not fooling anyone and that what you're trying to do is not even you in the first place. So it's like, you don't need to be hurt by that exactly because it was just a tap dance you know like what people are not fooled by is not you so right. it's okay <laughs> you know right so can you imagine if i if i'm sitting in a room with you and joey mm -hmm. and joel that's a fun time well it is if you're not doing this okay but if you're tap dancing it's mm -hmm. not good well, we're all going to call you out. Exactly. But y'all all, all kind of giggle about me first. It's like, you look at me like, look what she's doing. And it's not me. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like the message is that's so silly and so unnecessary because yeah. we love you for who you are. Yeah. Right. Yes. Twos don't, twos don't ever believe that they're loved for who they are because they are sure that they're loved not because they meet your feelings and your needs, but because they're able to sense them. Yeah. It feels like a superpower. Yeah. Well, it is. Kind of. Yeah, it is. And so it's like I still walk in a room and read everybody's feelings. My discipline is not to meet them. Yes. Just to hold them yeah. lightly. Yeah. yeah. Um, it feels safe to be wanted in an, in any area of another's life, but especially safe to be physically desired because no twos know themselves through the reactions that other people have to them, which is what you just said. They are extremely vulnerable to presenting themselves in a way that will flatter a partner's fantasies while at the same time suppressing their own sexual needs. Um, the appealing image is coupled with diminished sexual feelings. So I think it's super interesting that the more like that in the realm of sex, the more you live into pleasing and being the fantasy. I mean, I guess it makes sense. The more you are you yourself or a not there and b not even 
really that interested. Yeah. I just now remembered why I bought a new copy of this book. Okay. <laughs> and it's because I made a huge X through that day. Oh, wow. 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 I, I just think, I think it's tricky for women. Uh, I, I mean, I'll just, I can just speak for myself is be, like being the appealing image and being uh, desired and trying to be that, be whatever that is. Like I lose my own desire in trying to be the desired Yet, yet I want to be desired. Like I want to be desired, but I'm also trying to be desirable. And in that, I often lose my desire. And I said this on my last podcast with my friend, who's a one that I'm, I want to implement a night of the week. And I still haven't done it since that last podcast. So that says a lot right there. I would like to implement a night of the week where I'm calling it body night, where he, we touch each other, but there's no sex allowed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I need to find my way back into Mm -hmm. my body in a way that's not just this tunnel to sex. Like, can my body be a a pool, Mm -hmm. a, a lake that doesn't have that, it, is the end point. Right. Right. Um, and that's something that's ongoing for me, you know? Yeah. I think I, I, I would love to know that you so interesting that you and Nathaniel give yourselves to that one night a week for a time and see what you learn. Yeah. I, th- I think, um, you know, in terms of Joe and me, we're coming from such weird places mm-hmm. because of my abuse and because he was literally celibate till he was 40. Right. And I I like to talk about the last paragraph on 109. You can lead into it any way you want to. The last paragraph on 109. If the seductive maneuver is unconscious, twos are often confronted by those who resent the implications of a strong sexual presence. In such cases, givers wind up defending themselves. I was not seductive. I said nothing out of line. It was innocent. And they may truly believe that story because they are just not aware of how powerfully their inner alterations broadcast to other people. And unaware too, can appear in revealing clothing and turn a conversation to considerations of love without realizing how explicitly she is giving out a sexual signal in order to get back the response that she is attractive and loved. Mm. So, um, uh, first of all, we live in a culture that's very limited in its definition of what's seductive. But there's not much that's more seductive in, in one aspect of life than somebody knowing what you feel and putting feet, putting words to your feelings, even when you haven't been able to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's your end. And it's so intimate. It's very sexual. Ugh. And then twos 
deny themselves the sexual mm. peace because it's hard to outsense us. Yeah. So what we do in life, for example, is I, I, I used to say to Joe and the children sometimes, if I have to ask you for this, I don't want it. If I have to ask you to notice, I don't want you to notice. And they all said, well, why does it have to be asking us? Why can't you teach us some of this this thing that you do? How do you do that? How do you read that in other people? How do you know? And so that brings up thinking for me, right? So that I'm not just feeling. But Richard Rohr says, twos are always on the make. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely are. Mm -hmm. And we don't. In fact, until this conversation, I, when I talk about lust, say, I'm not talking about sexual lust in AIDS. And then when I get to twos always being on the make, I say, not talking about sexually, but it is sexual. Sure. It is sexual both places. Yes. And it's sexual because it's intimate, which is actually deeper than sexual. Absolutely. And that's, that's um, what we're after. So I have said to friend after friend and stranger after stranger, I don't think Joe will ever, ever be unfaithful to me in any way, but I would rather him have a sexual affair than an emotional one. Oh yeah. Because it's easier to fight. Sure. Sure. And so I think this seductive maneuver that she says, if the seductive mover is unconscious, Twos are often confronted by those who resent the implications of a strong sexual presence. And my question would be, if I had a person like me in spiritual direction or therapy, (laughs) my my question would be, is it really unconscious? Oh, that's... hmm. Like, what does unconscious mean? That you didn't sit across the room and think, I'm going to go be seductive right by letting that person that I know what they're feeling and what they need mm-hmm. or that that that's conscious but you know it's also conscious to not stop doing right what you know is slippery right right and because I'm heterosexual lots of men would like for women to know how they feel without them having to tell them. Mm -hmm. And female twos can sure do it. Yeah. 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 And based on what she's saying, walk away and say, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, the story about the time everybody was flirting, women were flirting with Joe and I, Told him I was going to flirt at the next party we went to. I said, I'm just going to flirt. So you be ready. Then you'll know how that feels. And this guy that I decided to flirt with was about Nathaniel's height or Joel's. And I'm, I just, I, I said to Joel, I'm going to go flirt now. I walk across the room, start flirting with this guy. What I thought was flirting. And he literally patted me on the head. Oh gosh. And said, are you okay? Oh gosh. <laughs> but the reality is. I can't flirt, but I can be seductive. Wow. 
Well, the flirting, I guess, you're, is that more transparent piece, right? That's not where you, where you might get uh, a pat on the head. But the seduction is the person doesn't know that it's happening. That's right. Well, and there's a power shift. Right. If I flirt with the tall guy across the room, that he has all the power. Right. Read it as flirting or not. Mm-hmm. But with the power of the gifts that twos have of knowing what you feel and what you think, especially what you feel and what you need, then they've they've got the power. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so, um. Uh, there is often a real fear of intimacy because close contact exposes the fact that the self has been sold out to please others. And this exposure can be terrifying to someone whose personal security depends upon being seen as deeply and intimately connected to other people. Um, I what I read out in the margin is kind of like what we were talking about before we started about like, again, my mother grief and how it's this fantasy about something that I'm actually afraid of. And maybe that's what this body night that I'm talking about is related to as well. Um, What is intimacy? What does it look like? What's the texture of it? What is it made up of? Do I recognize it and can I be satisfied and see it when it happens? And so I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to wrestle with that right now. Um, And so I think, I think we sell ourselves out every time we fantasize about intimacy, but don't participate in the presence of it in a day-to-day moment. And um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but. Here's my question for for us to look at as we address the answer maybe to that or a response, certainly not an answer. Um, You and I are very much alike in a lot of ways. And when we're in, we're all in. And we've both been all in on parenting. I don't know how I'm supposed to go from the intimacy of nursing my babies. Right. To being satisfied with um, a text. A text or even a confidential exchange that lacks feelings. Yeah. 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 It's tricky. It's tricky. Well, I think we are. Uh, hungry to be nurtured in our need not offered something that is slick and looks like it on the outside but it's just kind of empty Mm -hmm. and so this this real fear of being um of exposure of being uh like there's nothing in there for you. You share that um, Naranjo calls it the unconsciousness of unconsciousness. 
and which nines and twos kind of share that unconsciousness of unconsciousness. Um, and of course y'all handle that fear very differently, but how does it feel to be married to a nine who's also grappling with that? And, um, I mean, in some ways, does it make it this, does it feel safe in a way that you're coming together with the same vulnerabilities in a way or the same questions? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. Can y'all speak to each other about that? I mean, like, do y'all, do you say like, where am I in this or where, you know, like, do y'all get into it? And the, the, the interesting thing is that we started protecting ourselves from so much of that because we labeled it as other referenced. And then we labeled our intimate life as other referenced, which meant we had to learn to bring ourselves and our needs to the table and represent ourselves instead of the other one. Right. And that was very hard work and it made a big difference. And one of the byproducts of that difference was encouragement that came in the form of conscious and worthy criticism. What do you mean? Well, I mean that, you know, we knew how to go to each other for affirmation. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to go as a two, you know, an, an insecure two can manipulate the socks off of you if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I could go as that. But we had to learn to self-reference in responding to the other one rather than just other reference. Mm -hmm. in responding to the other one. Mm -hmm. And so um, I could say to Joe in an intimate argument for a long time, sometimes you're just mean. And then one day, just out of the blue, after, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten years of that, he looked right at me and said, sometimes you're just a bitch. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought, oh, <laughs> I literally thought, what's happening? Mm -hmm. And it was that he decided to take care of himself instead of me. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's a fascinating thing. And then you you find yourself on a whole new level of intimacy where you're going to do both. Take care of yourself and yes. the other. Yes. And that's tricky. It's tricky. It's very yeah. tricky for who's not. But you have to do, you have to take care of yourself first. It's like the mask on the air, on the airplane. Yeah. Um, um, what they want to know is who is willing to give attention without making too many actual physical demands yeah. and who might be dangerous to them yeah. sexually. Twos can live out their entire lives either dependently merged with the wishes of a partner or convinced that they are totally independent of a partner who can be controlled through flattery. Yeah. So that's what we were just talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we were just ahead of that. It's like. Yeah. That often happens. Yeah. 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 It's like, I'm going to take care of myself 
without flattering you. And the way I do that is not to ask questions that I already know the answer to. Yes. Yes. I need a little Parker Palmer right here. Yeah. Where we're asking honest questions. So I don't know the answer and I'm not asking a question with the end in mind. I'm just asking you an honest question. Right. So important. Yeah. Especially in this. It's so important because we get level one needs met by asking the questions that we know the answers to. And then level 10 needs go unmet year after year after year, not just day after day. Right. And I think that's true for most twos. I actually think for most twos, uh, their sexuality and their seduction is in their sensing your needs. And it has some kind of mystical, satisfying nature to it for the other person and for the two. Hmm. Okay. Um, she gets into pride on page 114. Um, twos live with the, oh, this is a lot of fun. We just go from one really, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, uh, they live with the ongoing assumption that help emanates from themselves to others and that without them, the rest of the world would be impoverished. If attention is withdrawn, it feels like being punctured, like, like being deflated from a posture of importance. Um, and I was, I wrote out in the margin that I think pride is, it covers shame and, I think shame is the more primal thing that pride is busy about. And the way Naranjo talks about that is, I love this, a sense of insignificance, a sense of insignificance, which propels a will to significance. Yep. That's it. And honestly, that's like all of us, right? It's just like, how do you go about how, like you could, you could take that one sentence and say, how is everybody up to that? Sure. Sure. But, but two is up to it with the pride thing. Yes. And you know, we, the, the thing is that with pride, <clears throat> if we use the Rizzo Hudson definition, which is pride is an inability or unwillingness to acknowledge your own needs and suffering while tending to the needs and sufferings of other people. Mm-hmm. So what happens after you do that for a while is you think you don't have any needs. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, I don't. And then that also in their work becomes the reality of your lost childhood message, which would be, it's not okay for me to need anything. So yeah. <clears throat> what, what happens? So, I mean, I, I like that quote, the, the Rizzo and Hudson quote, quote, but I think I almost like the Naranjo one better because it puts, I don't know, it just seems to be, it, it really deals with the fact that it goes back to the umbrella that you're running around taking your umbrella to everyone in the rain, instead of just standing with your umbrella, finding your own significance, like where is personal significance? And it can only be found by stopping running around giving everyone an umbrella and Uh, focus inward instead of out. Yeah. Yeah. 
And um, I mean, I think we, in the Rizzo one, you can kind of get, you can get hung up on the fact that, oh, you're not meeting your own needs. And then it's easy for a two to go, oh, well, let me meet my own needs and let me attach or merge myself or get under an umbrella with someone who I, can meet the hell out of all my needs. And so you can kind of slip past what's more core, which is the insignificance. And you can slip into a relationship with the other person, wanting them to meet all of your needs and they have no idea what's happening. Right. Right. No idea. All right. Read me this sentence again or two, please. Um, about pride, that one. Um, twos live with the ongoing assumption that help emanates from themselves to others and that without them, the rest of the world would be impoverished. If attention is withdrawn, it feels like being punctured, like being deflated from a posture of importance. Yep. Uh, or abandoned. You know how I have candles everywhere and you know how we have saints everywhere. Cause that's, you know, the art that we love. Um, and you know, I used to keep, a one of those tall candles with a saint on the front of it uh, lit all the time in the kitchen and the sacred heart, Jesus one where, you know, you, it shows Jesus's red heart. Mm-hmm. And then these beams are emanating from that heart. Well, uh, I, with apologies, call that the red heart, Jesus. <laughs> I love it. And I don't like it. You don't like the red heart Jesus. Right. And it took me uh, years, years. Joe and I have been together 37 years. I, I don't know. I guess it took me 34 years to figure out that I don't like it because it's a reflection. Mm. Not Jesus, but the heart emanating out. And I see all of those beams as connections to other people who I have taught to need me and then labeled as needy. Right. 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 Amazing. I wonder what a different, if not a red heart, Jesus, what kind of Jesus? I don't know. Um, uh, the most exciting and vital phase of a relationship is when there are still obstacles to be overcome and the chase is on. And I wrote out in the margin, this feels very seven to me, which reminded me when I was reading Naranjo that he said that twos are emotional seducers and sevens are intellectual seducers. Yep. Yep. Which I think is kind of but I didn't really know. I mean, is that true that you kind of like the chase? Sure. I mean, yeah. Sure. And, and resent being able to catch them. Right. Right. It's, um, it feels like an unfair competition where the two keeps winning. What do you mean? Well, you know, you, you, we know how in unhealthy space and bottom of average space, we know how to read and sense and read people and then pull them in. We know how to do that. All right. But the intriguing part is the sensing, not the pulling in. Right. Because right. we've already got enough people. Right. Right. It's do, do I still have my magic? 
Yeah. But that's not, I would never think in those words. I just talk in those words. Yeah. And, so and it yeah. feels so, you know, while the two is seducing the other person in that way, we're also, it's very seductive for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's a compulsion. But it is. And it's because you can count it as good. Yeah. Until oh, yes. That you oh, yes. See, yeah. it's I'm, I'm doing what Jesus would do. Jesus would give away his umbrella. Yeah, it's a worthy endeavor. That's right. Jesus would go in the store and buy more umbrellas. Right. Just give them to everybody. Yeah, un until you read where Jesus wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> but um, I guess our, you need to be more the kind of guy in the temple overturning the table. Right, right, right. And I don't think to discern well. Right. On on who to give or not give an umbrella to. On anything. Yeah. We're so distracted by the present moment. I don't think we are good at discernment, which is why we have to have a spiritual director. A spiritual director. Yeah. yeah otherwise, you mirror God, that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you think God wants the same things you want and you mm -hmm. believe God hates the same people you hate. Right. Right. You can validate your behavior all day long. Yeah. Because it's, it's like, yeah, I was thinking that's another thing about twos and nines is like y'all have your armor is so easy to validate right. moral, morally. And that's maybe something that only twos and nines have. Um, the, the rest of us are kind of like, oh, it's also warm and lovely and peaceful and giving and generous and all these wonderful things. And so it, in some ways that's where that unconsciousness of unconsciousness comes from that's is right, because you get right. to hide in such a gorgeously dis, uh, camouflaged palace. Yeah. yeah. When I'm teaching, I say, you know, I, I know when I teach a number that I know they're very uncomfortable about their number. I say, now I know that that sounds terrible and that the people in the room are thinking, oh, I don't want to be that number. And I bet when I was talking about twos, you thought in the beginning, you thought, oh, I'd love to be that. I'd love to be that number. But the reality is, then I say to them, y'all, I, I give to get. Let's put that at the top of the page. Yeah. I give expecting to receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a lot of work yeah. to not be in that space. Yeah. I don't think I really fully understood how adept twos are at getting exactly what they need. Like they are really getting it all. Um, I, my, my new title for twos were pleasers who are hard to please. Um, Let's not ever let anybody in my family hear that. How about that? <laughs> it's good, right? It's good. Um, I didn't really understand that until I read Naranjo. And then I was like, oh, okay. So they, you know, because most of the time a two has everybody in their life pretty busy meeting their needs, thinking that they're not being met. But meanwhile, they are being met. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't get that. I'll tell you how I got it. Yeah. <laughs> got it in the teaching room at the Micah Center. Uh-huh. Because 
uh, Joel works with us. Right. And so if your son is an adult and in the room when you're teaching, what, and a seven. So what mm-hmm. he started doing was I, I, I would say, cause you know, twos ask for what they want indirectly. Mm-hmm. And I would say, are, is anybody hot? And Joel mm-hmm. would pop out of his office and say, mom, do you want us to turn the air conditioner up? Right. Right. Or in our family, I would say, kind of thirsty. Mom, are you asking somebody to get you something to drink? Like until it was pointed out to me, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And then you can take that exact thing and apply it to all the deeper things that we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why all of it looks so lovely. Like we were just saying, like it, it just, yeah, it seems irreproachable. Yeah. And I would hate for people to, to envy that mm-hmm. because what it means is it's longer. We live to be older before we're appropriately confronted about our manipulative behavior. Right. Twos can learn to intervene. This is on 125 in their habit of sensing signs of approval from others by learning to shift attention away from others and refocus attention at a reference point within their body. With practice, twos can recognize the difference between staying present to their own feelings and allowing their focus of attention to go out to others. Shifting attention inward often produces a great deal of anxiety, though. Twos commonly report fearing that there may not be a real self at home and that there may be only a black hole in the belly and that nobody lives in that hole. So this anxiety, I guess, that comes with the work of standing there with your umbrella. Here's how I would start to talk about that. First of all, I would think uh, I'm here with my umbrella and I really need it. So maybe I should keep it. I probably shouldn't keep it because I should give it to this person. They will then share it with me. Give it away. They don't share it. Where twos get in trouble is they don't learn from standing in the rain. Right. We don't learn from being here. And I think the reason twos are so difficult to satisfy is because it's very difficult for them to be satisfied with anything that they had to ask for or manipulate to get. Because they want other people to have this sensing that they have. Yeah, right. But that's just a setup for disappointment. Absolutely. And and it's also a protection from relationship. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anyway. Right. It's what it leaves as a possibility over here. Right. And and it's also very frightening. Yeah. I think it is. To think that you might not be able to speak for yourself and nobody would know what you need. And I don't mean just because you've had a stroke or because you've been in an accident. I mean there are moments in life when I can't muster up whatever it is to speak right. for myself. Yeah. And I want somebody to do that for me who knows what I need. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, because there's anger in intimate relationships, including friendships like you and I have, because there's anger in intimate relationships, the other person doesn't walk away more committed to knowing what you need. They walk away thinking, you know, that's exhausting. I'm not going to, I'm just not going to deal with that. Right. It's not an invitation for right. the for what we want in other people to be developed. Exactly. It's a whipping right. if you didn't get it. Right. And so everybody avoids the whipping and they never, never or seldom do the work <laughs> to figure out what it is that you need. Right. Yes. And then there's the awkwardness that twos don't handle well of receiving from people who have really tried to sense what they needed mm-hmm. and choosing between being honest about that's not really it mm. or accepting it, which creates that film of dishonesty that just gets thicker and thicker and thicker. Right. It's very tricky. It's very, like I said, it's slippery. Um, humility has nothing to do with virtuous thinking or self-sacrifice, which might easily mask unconscious needs to assert control over others by making them dependent. Um, this is the part I really like at the top of 129. Humility is the recognition of one's exact needs and the natural inclination to take no more and no less than what is necessary. A person who knows his or her own needs will be likely to extend just the right measure of help to others. Furthermore, such a person's quality of giving will be in just the right proportion to what is required. Humility is like standing naked in front of a mirror and being grateful for exactly what is reflected back with no inclination to pridefully inflate one's feelings by imagining it as more than what it is or to be deflated by not accepting what is really there. Likewise, there is the ability to gratefully accept one's objective relationship to other people rather than to habitually manipulate oneself into a position of importance. Yep. I mean, I just think that's so beautiful. It is beautiful. And that's it. That, that is. is it. Um, and, and, I've said for years and years and years, the two questions that are the hardest for me to answer in the relationships with the people I love the most are, what do you need and what do you feel? Yeah, I like how she says her exact needs. Like they're just, it just has to be your ongoing alone work. Yeah. And then just a couple more things and I know we're getting long and I'll, and I'll, a couple more. Well, one of the things I want to say about that too is that I think that's another journaling responsibility for twos. Totally. And the way you get to it, interestingly enough, mm-hmm. is by spending a little time, maybe two days a week, um, journaling on what needs weren't met. Yes. Not the I, ones that were. Last night, I did a union workshop on Zoom. It's one of the things I love about Zoom, that I can do a union workshop. Yep. And and so we, we, it was all about journaling and the prompts were, the prompts were, uh, when in your life, have you felt stagnant? Um, where in your life do you feel longing? Where in your life do you feel inner conflict? 
Where in your life do you feel stuck? Where in your life do you feel grief or anguish? Um, where in your life do you feel desire? And then we had to journal for several minutes on all these questions. And then we had to think about where they, those, all those places met. And then we had to draw, she said, you could do stick figures if you wanted to, like all the different people, the parts of you, the selves of you that like these directions, these tensions, these desires, like who are all these people? So I drew three people. I drew this like sexy lady who wants sex, love, engagement, art, morality. Then I drew like a saint who wants to meditate and be spiritual and be balanced. Um, and then I drew an asshole that wants to be left alone, cut off everyone entirely, be unbalanced as possible and expand as an artist without any duties. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would think that kind of, uh, anthropomorphizing and creating these characters inside of journaling and then seeing what, what, what do all those characters want? And how's that going to work? I mean, that's really helpful. That's very helpful. And until you got to desire, (laughs) I answer to every prompt as you were going through them of when do you feel stagnant? My -hmm. answer to everything you said was when I'm doing what is not mine to do. Mm -hmm. It almost killed me. Yeah. From the inside out, two's doing what is not theirs to do will kill you. Right. And it's the knowing what's not yours that takes all the work. All the work is in the knowing and all the work is in being willing to give up the power that comes in the seduction in relationships based on knowing what other people need. I feel like we could stop there. Um. The, on page, well, on 129, she talks about twos and nines looking alike. Yeah. Uh, they they alter personal presentation with an agenda of cert- asserting control by being pleasing, which I guess is kind of what we were just talking about. Nines do not alter and do not control by giving. That's important. Nines yeah. describe the way that they merge with others as being like the image of a mirror, absorbing and reflecting back the point of view that others impose on them. Nines also say that they exercise control by slowing down or spacing out rather than through manipulation. Another difference between two and nine is the fact that twos actively move toward people with whom they wish to be identified, whereas nines are slow to put themselves forward. I just thought that was. Joe and Suzanne Stabile. Yeah, very articulate, like very granularly put right on right on um twos and threes the three points clustered the right the the heart triad represent different ways in which real childhood feelings were sacrificed in order to reconcile the conflict between personal and parental wishes um yes um the difference between a three and a high achieving two is the difference between the performer who plays to the audience in order to put on a great show and the flatterer who plays to the same audience in order to impress a special boyfriend who is sitting in the front row. (laughs) That's perfect. Isn't that great? It's great. It's helpful to me. Yes, it is. I'm like, hmm. 
hmm, I'm confused about this, yeah. all yeah. these emerging things. Um, you know, but- also there's a, there's that three, two thing uh, on the other end of it, where if threes have, if you have a hundred people and threes have 85% dialed in and happy, that's good. Yeah. And twos go after the 15 they don't have. Right. They want a hundred percent. Well, yes. And they're, they, threes don't allow other people to, um, threes don't give all their power away to other people's response to them. Twos do. Yes. Yeah. I, I still do. Yeah. I still do too. I think fours do that too. Um, okay. Well, I think that's a wrap. I really, I really, I mean, at the end of the chapter, if people have this book, there's all these things she talks about for helping twos thrive and things that twos can be aware of. And so those are helpful lists. I think the how and why is really important. You, you know, that I, I, for years and years have had a story people watercolor that I hang Mm -hmm. in my office or just outside of it. And uh, it's a man and a woman and four kids and a dog and a house and a church. And at the bottom, it says, there's no one who comes here who doesn't know that that's you right there at the center, making a home for all of us. And I think the important thing for me is that I still get to want to be at the center and make a home for everybody. Totally. It's how I do it. It's, 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 it's that you get to do it and that we get to really find you there. Yes. So it's not just a fantasy of being in the center of all those things and going through the motions of being in the center of all those things. It's that you and your body and your heart and your mind are in the center of those things. And yeah. And then I'm here to host you. Mm-hmm. and to let you come and go. Yes. And I can also be in the center and really be manipulative. Mm-hmm. And when I, looking back through journals, see that in myself unrecognized at the time, I just weep. Mm-hmm. So the uh, one thing I, I want to be a part of this conversation is that an awful lot of what we talk about is unconscious or we are unaware as twos because we want to and are trying to love well. Yes. And I, when I do the kind of work we've done today and have the kind of conversations we've had today, I don't want people to go away thinking that it it's all um, just manipulative. It's, right. it's, it's all just feeding a hungry person, I guess, or tiger or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not. It's, it's intended to be love. Right. But when shame and fear pop in, then manipulation shows itself first as a sure way to get what you think you want. And then if you manipulate to get it, you don't have it. Exactly. And you know you don't have it. Right. And that's, that's why I love the Enneagram because it shows all the nine ways in which we, in our desire to be loved, 
do all these things instead and then don't get it. And so it just shows you that we're all, we're all, I mean, like, you know, I think a lot of the work I'm doing is like thinking about sevens are really there to make the world better for all of us. And they want to create a vision where everyone is better and looks, you know, and is, is good. Everyone is good and everyone is happy and their, their intentions are good really good yeah they're visionaries you know but it's just like all the way all our motives all the i mean not our motives all our ways of going about our motives is what gets us in trouble and i think orientation of time has a lot to do with that Mm -hmm. you know when when your orientation to time is the future then you're not in trouble yet for this (laughs) right Never. I, I'd love to be in that space. You can never, you're never in trouble because it's always in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks for inviting me. Okay. Anything else? You good? Uh, um, I don't think it's possible at this point in my Enneagram journey. I don't think I have taught enough about shame, fear, and anger as the default emotions for the three triads. And I don't think it's possible to for twos, threes, and fours to spend too much time being very careful to try to figure out what happens in your soul before it gets turned into shame. Because mm. that's where the gold is. Mm. The gold is right before shame, if you can learn to catch it. I love that. I love that. I'm going to have to really think about that. And I love you. I love you too. Because the sky is the only place to be. Cause the sky is a lonely place The sky is a lonely place Tell me what you want me to Oh, tell what you want me to Tell me what you want me to do Thank you.